0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to another episode of the Ninth State Sports Show Football Edition. My name is Joe Marcellina. I'm joined once again by Mike Lockman. Mike, how are you doing today?
1: Doing good, Joe. As always, looking forward to talking, to talking about a little football tonight.
0: All right. Well, uh, you can send questions and feedback by shooting an email to nhhighschoolsports at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at nhhsports. And you can listen to the show Tuesday mornings throughout the football season at nh-highschoolsports.com. And before we get started, I want to take a moment to tell you about our sponsor. The presenting sponsor for the Ninth State Sports Show is Roger Howe of The Bean Group. Are you thinking of selling your home? Now may be the time. While the weather is starting to cool off, the market is hot and interest rates remain at all-time lows. It's time to call Roger Howe, a licensed professional realtor with The Bean Group. Not sure what your home is worth? Roger will provide a market analysis for you at no charge. With 12 years of experience in residential, commercial, leasing, and investment properties, Roger knows your local market. Contact Roger Howe of the Bean Group at 800-450-7784 or 603-247-1583 or email him at roger at rhowrealestate.com. All right, Mike. Uh, We got some football to talk about. Uh... A lot of interesting... Yeah, it was a busy weekend. Yes, very busy weekend, a lot of interesting scores and games, uh, ones that will have great impact, I think, on the postseason, and some that just were, you know, were a little surprising. But uh, as we do every week, uh, I want to start out where I recognize in a couple of uh, individuals and a couple of teams for their standout performances of last week with our, our player and team of the week uh, feature here. So, uh you, you want to go first with your player or would you like me to?
1: Uh, I think I went first last week. So, okay, how about so uh, I'll, I'll be the I'll gracious go. uh, I'll be the gracious one and, and have you go first this oh,
0: week. Right. Joe. Yeah, right, sounds good. Uh, so last week we talked about uh kind of the big game in Division 4, uh matching uh Newport and Summersworth and uh, that my player of the week I'm going to go with uh, with a uh, player from that game, uh Summersworth's Calvin Lambert had a huge game for the Hilltoppers in their thirty five seven win over the Tigers. Lambert ran for two hundred and thirty-six yards and two touchdowns. Uh was just a a, a force for Summersworth on offense. Uh, you know, that's a a really big win, uh, you know, in a game that, that had a lot of magnitude. And I mean t- tough to say in, in early October, but you know, the way the the division game you know, you look at results and how things have gone and who Summersworth has left on its schedule. And, I mean, that more than likely probably wraps up uh, the the top seed for them. You know, unless someone down the stretch, they've got games against Raymond, Bishop Brady, and, and Winnesquam left. Uh, you know, two of those teams, and Brady and Raymond, are both 3-1. and one. Um, You know, so the potential there maybe for uh, someone to upset them along the way, but uh, Summersworth looks to be in pretty good shape for that number one seed right now. And uh, thanks a, a big part this past week to, to Calvin Lambert.
1: Yeah, no, I think it's a good pick. you know, we, we had talked a little bit last week about this matchup and I know we had talked sort of offline about the matchup too, and how excited we were for it. I, I gotta, I gotta admit, I didn't expect summer's worth to have that decisive of a win you know so, when when yeah. and i know there's no perfect way to to predict these outcomes you know but when i was looking at common opponents which they had a, a couple of i think they had both played muscoma valley and they had played newfound um previously right and, and so right. i mean yeah. they had played two of the three of their opponents were common opponents right. And looking at the scores they were pretty similar right? I mean they were both dominating performances, you know, again it's kind of hard to say I guess with that sort of score, but I thought that this would be a pretty a pretty well contested game, could go either way type of thing. Um pretty big deal for Summersworth to come away that decisively against Newport. You know, obviously not having seen the game we don't know whether there were, you know, injuries or other factors that maybe were involved, but even with that, you know, you say, hey, uh, uh, you know, a 35-7 to 7 win is clearly decisive, puts them firmly in the driver's seat.
0: Absolutely. Well, who did you have for your uh, Player of the Week?
1: So Player of the Week, I uh, I didn't have as much heartache over this one this week, although <laughs> there were some, it was like we always say, there were some really good performances, but I'm going to go with Melo Hyde from Merrimack. All right. so we, we had brought him up last week, I think talking about the Merrimack versus BG game, and I had said, you know, I paid him some compliments and said, geez, you know, I, I hope that he doesn't let that, that sort of first play from scrimmage fumble get to him. Well, it, it, it must have really ticked him off uh, because he had a great game against Keene and what was a really important game for keeping Merrimack standings alive, right? He had uh, on defense 13 tackles from the inside linebacker position, which I think against an offense like Keene, it's not an easy thing to do, right? They're they're running multiple lead blockers up through a hole from a, a three back offense. You know they're pounding at you with their offensive line. Uh, you got to be tough and, uh, and and really resilient to record three tackles against uh, thirteen tackles against a team like that. And then on the other side of the ball, he did not much, but uh, you know he he figured he'd probably rush for three touchdowns and put up yeah. one hundred and sixty yards of offense as well. So yeah, why not? Um, yeah, right. you know, I mean, as long as you're blowing people up on defense, you might as well blow people up on offense, sure, too. So I thought that was a huge performance. And again, I think a really important win for Merrimack, but um I, I think it was a great performance by Melo Hyde, and I think it was also especially considering that, you know, again, I'm sure he felt badly about that the um the turnover um the previous week. I love to see kids come back from that stuff to have a short memory. Great mental toughness. Put it aside. Those things happen in football. You can't beat yourself up. And, and come out and just have a great comeback performance the next week is awesome.
0: Yeah, that was a big game in helping them kind of keep pace with, uh, you know, the teams not only in the West Conference, um, but you look at, at the whole, and you see who else lost games too, you know, with we'll get into this more for sure, but with Spaulding and Exeter, um, you know, both losing games kind of brings Merrimack and, and Bedford, too. You know, they came out uh, in, a, in a must or in a win, excuse me, in a game that they really needed to be able to win um, against Nashville South. Kind of all, they all kept themselves kind of within striking distance. Although, you know, those teams were with 13 teams getting into the playoffs this year. we uh, are already kind of starting to see a little bit of a divide in between who's going to get in and who's not. I think. I, I, yeah. Yeah. Obviously still
1: yeah, it was a big win for Merrimack too, I think because if you look at their next couple of weeks, they've got Spalding who just took their first loss in a in a in a pretty tough way this past weekend. and then they've got Nashua North, who's still rolling undefeated. Um, so they've got a, they've got a tough couple of weeks coming up, right. really needed that keen win to to keep themselves uh, you know feeling good about their their playoff hopes yeah.
0: Uh, and so for my uh, well, my team of the week, uh, picked a team that uh, got a big win, much needed win uh, to kind of again keep them uh, keep pace with other teams as well. I, I went with Bow uh, getting a third, oh, where thirty one to ten win over Merrimack Valley. Uh, of course, Merrimack Valley kind of up and coming in Division Two, um, still on the outside of the playoffs looking in, but with for Bow. That helps them go to 4-1, and one. and, um, you know, it may not sound like much, but they're, you know, a game back of Guilford Belmont in that East Conference, so keep in pace there with the Eagles, you know, just in case something might happen there with Guilford Belmont um, within striking distance. But also, you're looking at the other side of the bracket, too. You know, you've got three teams in that West Conference, Pelham, Sohegan and Hanover, who are all 5-0, and o. Uh, you know, and, and right now it may look like, oh, you know, well, that bow's behind them, too. Um, all those teams still have to play each other. So picking up any win that you can get right now for the Falcons is, I think, a pretty big one. Um, so that was, uh, I think, a key game for them. Uh, you know, on Saturday, they get out to a 14 nothing lead early. They're up 17-3 to at halftime and then really just put the game away in the second half.
1: Yep, big win.
0: All right, well, who was your uh, team of the week?
1: This one was a little harder for me, but, uh, you know, I think the way that I looked at this one was I can't have spent all the, the extra air time we spent in last week's show talking about, you know, how awesome the Sowhegan-Plymouth rivalry has been through the decades and not hand the, uh, that honor over to, to the Sowhegan Sabres. Um, you know, it, it's really hard to go to the land of Lenehan. And, and come away with a win. I I can't even I can't even imagine when the last time somebody went up there and won to the tune of 46 to nothing. Uh, I mean, has it ever happened? <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, uh, yeah, I
0: don't I don't know. Yeah.
1: Uh, that's a that's a huge deal, right? And then you have these monster performances from uh you know, from from JJ Bright who I think rushed for almost 130 yards and had another 30 or 40 yards uh, receiving. Not just and Steve, then, you, he... uh, you know, the, the guy, we haven't talked a lot about him. We've mentioned his name a few times, but Romy Jane, the South Egan quarterback. Yeah. He's got to be one of the best quarterbacks in the state as a sophomore. Um, you know, the, the, uh, the union leader had him uh, 12 of 15. Um, the New Hampshire Football Report website had him as 12 of 16, 286 <laughs> yards. And, and three touchdowns, um, and also a rushing touchdown. But, it, you know, it sounded like, you know, but Jane. not only did he have a great performance, but they were they hit on all big plays, right? He had a 48-yard touchdown pass to Cole Manning, 68 yards to Charlie Maroon, 50 yards to Connor Cassidy. Uh, you know, again, these, these massive chunk plays, talented athletes. I don't know when, you know, J.J. You know, Bright rips off a, you know a, a 50 plus touchdown run on the first play of the game for Sauhegan. I mean just where do you ever hear Plymouth's defense you know really getting picked apart right. like that. Yeah. Especially at home, you don't. So I I have a feeling um that Sauhegan had to have an amazing week of preparation to put that together. Had to come out firing on all cylinders, confident, well coached, well schooled up and um that's a big win for the Sabers to put them at five and zero against, a, especially against a, a very very, um, however you want to put it. I was going to say, heated rival, but uh, it hasn't been heated for a while. But sort of a historical rival. Yeah,
0: there you go. Historic rival is a good one. Yeah, J.J. J. Bright there with with numbers that, uh, dare I say, jellison esque. Uh, hundred did that hundred and twenty four yards and two touchdowns on seven carries. Yeah. Um. So yeah, no, those are those are very um eye-catching numbers uh, for for him you know and and their their schedule gets interesting down the stretch too with with Hanover this week and then in two weeks Pelham so we'll uh we'll sort out this uh, West conference pretty quickly here as the season comes to an end and uh it's looking pretty good pretty good like it's going to be pretty exciting
1: yeah absolutely and and I think the other thing not to lose sight of with with Southhegan is they shut him out. Right, right. You know, um, it, it was Southiegan's second shutout in a row. Um, so the defense coming alive at the right time too. You know, you've got one of the best quarterbacks in the state, one of the best running backs in the division, certainly, uh, and and two weeks in a row not giving up a point, setting yourself up in really really good position for a critical game. Uh, Hanover at Southhegan at seven o'clock um, this Friday night.
0: Well, uh, I think we should probably uh, let's let's move on to some other games and maybe start with uh, with the one that um, uh, that we were both actually at. I, I'm I can't believe I'm saying that because I don't know the last time that we got to watch a game uh, in person together was. I I, I would think maybe at town at some point. How many, you know? Maybe three or four years ago. Um, uh, yeah, it's
1: been a while. I, I I think we were at the the bow. So, Eagan playoff game a few years ago. I don't remember what year that was, though. Yeah, we might have uh, been, yeah. I used to remember when you were at once in a while, but, you know, with the COVID restrictions and things, it, we, you know, it was very difficult to get into games over the last couple of years, so I didn't get out to see many. And so, yeah, I, I, you know, I was going to go over and see Memorial and Spalding, and I was like, well, oh, Joe's going to be at, at Pinkerton and – yeah, it's just another fifteen minutes down the road from Memorial, right? So I figured I'd join you there, and uh, figured we could, uh, you know, we could hang out there together and, uh, you know, it, it, yeah. <laughs> make fools of ourselves together on the sidelines.
0: <laughs> well, no, I I appreciated it because, you know, a lot of times I'll be standing there watching games and I'll I'll think to myself, what, why are they doing this or, why are they doing that? Uh, you know, and I'm not a coach. I I will never. Th- say i should be a coach um uh, you know and and pretend that i know more than than any coaches on some of these things um but uh you know we were able to to chat and, and communicate about what was going on and uh i felt a little more validated in some of my uh my thinking um thanks to uh to hearing some of your opinions too <laughs> during the game
1: yeah no it was, it was good uh, you know i've it's been a while since I've gone to a game with, uh, quite frankly, another adult too, right? Like sometimes I bring my kids and, you know, those kind of <laughs> oh, things. So, uh, yeah, so, no, weird. we had a good time. It was a great night for a game. Um, actually, it's the first time I've ever been to Pinkerton with the lights. Um, so, so for me, you know, having been to that field many, many times in the past, both as a player and as a coach, but it's the first time I was there to, to take in a game under the lights, so I, I enjoyed the heck out of it.
0: Well, here I go and say, you know, how it was good to hear your opinions and your thoughts, and then you go and call me something like an adult, and that's just.
1: Yeah, well, yeah, we can maybe you can edit that out in post. Okay. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Um, But yeah, it was, um, you know, it it was kind of an interesting game, and I feel like, I mean, this is the second time I've seen Salem, um, you know, up close and personal outside of the jamboree. Uh, The second time they've lost, uh, you know, while I've been there. By 20 or more points to an opponent. And the second time now that I look at the game and I say, well, but if this, this and this breaks Salem's way, maybe that game isn't 27 to nothing, you know, or yeah. that game against Exeter isn't 35 to 15, you know, Salem just had, and, and I, I liked, you know, coach um, Steve Abraham said after the game that, that they're making, Mistakes, and they don't have... The, the difference between them and Pinkerton is Pinkerton has guys like Jake Albert and Cole Iannaco, um who, when someone makes a mistake, they're talented um, and skilled enough to make up for it. Salem has a guy in David Jakes who can do that, but he's, at this point, really one of the few guys with a lo- enough varsity experience you know, and enough skill to, to do those kind of things that Salem just can't overcome those kind of mistakes. And that's, I, yeah. I, I, I thought that was very well put. Like, that's pretty much the way I would sum it up, too. Um, you know, Salem, Pinkerton gets a touchdown on the opening drive. Salem answers right back, drives down the field, fumbles going into the end zone. You know, Pinkerton pins them deep with a punt. Um, you know, quarterback doesn't get enough on a pass, gets picked off, returned or, or for a touchdown. And all of a sudden, it's instead of maybe being 7-7, it's 14-0 and then the ball just kind of keeps rolling from there.
1: Yeah, I, I, a couple couple things that I that I caught from that game. One is whatever that end zone is, the end zone to your left, if you're sitting on the home side, <laughs> right. the one furthest from the scoreboard, that was cursed. Yes, it was. And that just happened to be the side of the field you and I were standing on because there, there were multiple turnovers that took place, either in that end zone or close to it. Um, even the guys who were returning kicks with their with their backs to that end zone you know a couple times uh, bobbled kickoff returns and things like that so there was some 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 kind of weird you know fog <laughs> or curse going on in that end zone
0: we must have spooked
1: them um, yeah the second thing was you know from a salem perspective there were a few things that bit them um you know the the pick i, I can't remember where they were they might have been on their own four or five it yard us, line it
0: was pretty close to the goal line
1: yeah I, I think they had like you know the ball was down at the one after a really good punt they might have ran the ball for three or four yards on first down they had like a second and six and they just tried to throw like a like a you know get a guy one-on-one out in the left flat towards the home side and i don't remember which pinkerton defensive back picked the ball but that kid made like a pro break, yeah, can't. right on um, right on the pass that that was thrown. And um, just took it in, right? He just walked there was nobody out there. He no just walked say, it in yeah, for a touchdown. Yeah. was uh, like you said, then the next thing you know you're down. So that was a tough one. But the the third thing that I think is really important to point out here is that as much as it seemed kind of like it was a runaway Pinkerton win, and it was, in many respects, what you didn't see from Salem was give up. You didn't see a bunch of frustration, bad body language, you know, kids packing it in. Um, there was a lot of fight, yeah, you know, a lot of fight. And and I think the other thing that I was impressed with is, is justice Casado who, who, who did get banged up. I think at the end of that game, um, you know, didn't get a ton of, of touches, but, you know, caught a few passes. Um they used him a little bit uh, in the run game, not a bunch, but a little bit, and, and were relatively successful when they did. And I know he's a young guy, so those are a couple of the things that I observed about Salem. You know, especially in what otherwise you'd say, "Hey, that's a tough loss." It dropped them to what? Is, are they one and four now? One yeah, and three? One and four. Yeah, but no give up. Um, technically sound, right? I thought that they executed really well. Their linemen pulled well. They're, you know, they were there a lot in the runs. It was just Yanaco would bowl, you know, bowl three guys over on the way to a big gain or, you know, Albert would just outrun somebody. It was it was kinda like, yeah, you know they're young.
0: Yeah. It was uh Caden Misho with the pick six uh
1: that you yes, were, yeah.
0: And then uh yeah, you mentioned the punts too, uh Matt Fioli with a couple of punts that were downed inside the five yard line. Um couple others that really helped Pinkerton win field position there, he was—he um, was a big weapon for for Pinkerton in that game, you know. And and his his ability to kick there too. I mean, just it, it that can be a game changer for a team, especially in a day and age where kids don't field punts quite nearly as much as they used to, or as well as they used to, um, you know. So I mean, if you can get a kid who's putting the ball, you know, deep and and let your guys run under it, uh, you know, down it pretty deep. Uh, that's a huge difference maker, and it was for Pinkerton uh, in this one. And uh, other other uh, while we're talking special teams, there was another interesting twist too for Pinkerton. They had a new kicker this week. I don't know if you noticed. He didn't have his name uh, on the back of his jersey, a lot like most of their players do. Uh, he is on the roster, though. His name is uh, Craig Coventry. And from what Coach uh, Brian O'Reilly was saying was, he's a uh, a soccer player, uh, not at the school, but he plays on a club team. And, uh, you know, a friend of his, I guess, who's on the team, you know, brought him out for practice. And, you know, at first O'Reilly was like, oh, okay, I don't I don't know. We don't we don't usually use soccer kids to, to, you know, kick the football. And uh, he's like, why?" he's like kind of why don't you go over there and and do your thing? And the kids started kicking. And and after he saw a few of them, he's like, "Okay, how about you? You're going to kick for us. Uh, yeah and he didn't i mean he had a he maybe he had a, a rough start there i mean he missed a field goal on his one attempt but uh, maybe a few more nerves getting to him but his kickoffs were were very good uh and and potentially um i guess you know during warmups he was hitting them from or, or practice he's hitting them from 55 yards
1: so yeah yeah you make a good point I thought the Pinkerton special teams were very very good which is interesting because the week before I thought that Londonderry really had the special teams advantage over Pinkerton. So, you know, I, I don't know whether that's just matchups, right? Londonderry's special teams were just that much better than Pinkerton's or whether Pinkerton sort of went to practice and rededicated themselves to special teams a little bit. But you're absolutely right to point that out, right? I mean, the the, the Lumley, you um, know, who's the punter? Fi- Fioli, sorry. Oh, yes. Um, punting, you know, down inside the five, I mean, College and pro guys sometimes can't get that sort of field yeah. position thing going, right? I mean, to, to to have your punt team secure that kind of field position, and, and especially with as as well as how um, as Pinkerton's defense was playing, um, you know, I, I mean, I think Salem gave it their best, but after a while, you know, they were able to sort of zero in and say, hey, you know, if we stop um, Jake's, we're gonna, you know, that they're not they're not they're not going with much else tonight and they did a good job of that when you've got that kind of thing going and you've got the field position thing going you know Salem spent a lot of time in their own territory right yeah
0: yeah um you know you look around uh at the east conference and uh there were two really big games over there two really close games that came down to the wire that are um you know huge looking at the standings course uh you had you know memorial holding off spalding 27 26 memorial its first win spalding its first loss of the season kind of an interesting flip there and then you had timberlane holding off exeter 27 to 23 in a game that that sounded like it had quite a, kind of a bizarre ending if i'm not mistaken that that um you know exeter had a chance to Take the lead, uh, and then just kind of ran out of time uh, inside Timberlane's ten. Um, yeah. So kind of an interesting turn of events there. Uh,
1: but... Yeah, you're, you're you're Quentin Tarantinoing me here, and, and kind of <laughs> <laughs> doing the end of the movie first, and then you know we'll go back and tell you about it. But yeah, you're right. It was, you know, both teams did a really good job, I thought, managing clock. And what really happened at the end of the Exeter game was. Uh, you know I'm, I'm looking at my notes while we're talking here, but you know, I think that there was like, I don't know how much time they had left, but Exeter got the ball back, you know, and and had enough time to drive. It, it I don't exactly remember what how much time there was left on the clock, but they got the ball down to the Timberlane seven, and you know, they had they had used their last timeout, if I remember correctly, and I think they had called two plays. They might have called two plays in the huddle, you know, to sort of hurry things up and keep things moving along. And they they ran the ball off tackle, and uh, I, I can't remember which back they gave the ball to. It might have been Moss, but you know, he, he got tackled and didn't didn't score right. And it's not like yeah. it's not like they were on the one or two.
0: Yeah. Right. Right.
1: And so, you know, if you run the ball there and you're not you're not successful in scoring, I mean, that, that's it, right? Like, if you throw the ball, you get, you know, either a touchdown or an incompletion, and it stops it. Um, now, granted, Timberlane had been doing – had been playing unbelievably well on defense. Um, they they – you know, again, we could kind of go into the game a little bit, but um, I'm sure there's reasons that Exeter felt that was their best shot to win the game, but, yeah, I mean – when when uh again, I think it was Moss got tackled on the seven, that was it. It was just like there was maybe eight seconds left, and there's you know if if that, and there's there's no time to line back up, get another play called and go you know I mean the I think what had happened was he sort of he he flipped the official the ball, and the ball got dropped and sort of like you know they bounced around, and the official couldn't get it spotted,
0: huh interesting,
1: yeah, and time just ran out,
0: yeah. I mean that's a that's another huge one, um, especially looking at Exeter's, uh, you know, remaining schedule. Um, they got Bedford coming to town this week. Both teams, three and one in the division, um, you know. So I mean, this game will go. I would think a good way towards um, seeding, you know. And then beyond that, Exeter's got Dover and Spalding coming up in the two weeks after that. Both teams that are are also um, three and one within the division and and. Again, those games are gonna are gonna have a big impact on on where everyone kind of shakes out uh, within the division. And now, the flip side of that, you got Timberlane that's at four and one, uh, sitting at the top of the conference, and and they're looking like they're you know in pretty good shape right now. Um, you know they do have three of their last four on the road, uh, but they go to Goffstown this week. Um, you know before going to Spalding, then hosting Dover, and then host, uh, going to Portsmouth. You know, so not um you know a, a schedule where Timberlane should be able to pick up you know maybe a, at least a win or two for sure, um, and maybe more.
1: yeah, I gotta tell you, I was very impressed with Timberlane, particularly on the defensive side of the ball. Um, they really gave Exeter fits, especially in the first half. I mean they they held them to two, three and outs on the first two drives um and and they weren't it wasn't like fourth and one more punting i mean it was probably like 3 or 4 yards a drive is all they got um you know they and they're young they've got a they've got a sophomore captain linebacker number 50 Caleb moley i think is his name um and he was all over the place i mean exeter could not block him um exeter had a hard time blocking either of their inside linebackers but yeah. Uh, but but Moley was particularly good. Um, I, I thought it was interesting, too, that the second half Exeter was a little bit more successful on offense, but they, they were blocking their base plays a little different, right? You could, you could sort of tell that Timberlane linebackers were really reading their keys, and they were, they were reading guards, and they were reading down blocks, and all the different things that make that straight T offense go. Second half, Exeter came out and, and ran the same backfield actions, but blocked straight ahead. No pulling, no down blocking, just sort of were coming right at you. And that was successful, more successful for Exeter. Um, but but Timberlane's young. You know, I mentioned uh, the, the linebacker, sophomore captain. They've also got a freshman uh, sort of slot receiver, a uh, special teams guy named Liam Corman, who's a freshman, number five, uh, I mean he was making blocks on special teams um, he was making big plays on on offense you know when they when they would go to him um, pretty talented kid, only a freshman hmm. um, So you think about that a little bit and say, hey you know that's uh, that's a pretty good future for Timberland yeah, yeah. Um, And yeah. they ran for 350 yards against Exeter's wow. defense which is a good that's, defense.
0: Yeah that's kind of eye-opening.
1: Yeah, another big week for um, Ed DiGiulio. Um You know, scored a, a touchdown or two, um, lots of yards on the ground, especially again against uh, a good Exeter team. It was uh, it was a really interesting game, but that that Timberlane defense was awesome, and and quite frankly, um, uh, Capetta was a beast, Dom Capetta, uh, with his legs and. Throwing the ball when they did call upon him to do it, um, he was really, really special in that game.
0: Hmm. You know, uh, as we, yeah, as we said, that one kind of coming down to the wire. That that uh, Memorial Spalding game too. Um, you know, another game that that one point game that looked like it was um, going to come back down to that, where they're going back and forth. Um, you know, and and it sounded like. There might have been some, I don't know, uh, controversy. I don't know. Is that the word for it? <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> sure, why not? <laughs> sure. You know, they Spalding was going for two. I guess on all of its, con- on, um, you know, its conversions, um, and on their first one of the game, um, you know, f- the officials missed that they were doing that and lined up for a kick, and the play went to the side where there was no official. And they ruled the, the, that it was no good and was uh, maybe a closer play than, than some people or, or, you know, closer play than you would, you know, maybe they thought. Um uh, am not saying that, that it was in for sure. I haven't seen it. This is just what I've, you know, what I've heard through the grapevine, which I guess is maybe a dangerous thing to put out there on a podcast. But, you know, I'm, I'm doing <laughs> it. Um, you know, and then it ends up being a one point game. So you kind of wonder if, uh, OK, hope that didn't. You know, didn't cost the team uh, a win there, uh, but yeah, they both went back and forth uh, throughout. It seemed like I, you know, I'd check Twitter and I'd see one team scoring, and then, you know, a few minutes later, the other one comes back and scores. Um, you know, and Memorial comes up with uh, with a stop on Spalding's last touchdown on the on the, again on the conversion to keep it twenty seven twenty six. You know, and win the game, and then, um, you know, late. Um, Spalding had another chance to, uh, you know, take the lead, and Memorial comes up with another big stop on uh, on defense, you know. So just a, a huge win for them, and and we talked about I think them the you know previous couple of weeks too, coming off back to back overtime losses to Dover and Portsmouth. So to to come out of this one with a win uh, has got to be a great fielding for for the Crusaders. Feeling for the Crusaders. Let's try that again.
1: <laughs> yeah, they've been right there. And, you know, we talked about them in the preseason as being, you know, a potential sort of dark horse, like might they be overlooked sort of team. And I, I, I still feel that way about them a little bit, but they've 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 really um, it, it's been really painful uh, the way that they've, uh, you know, the, those games have shaken out over the last couple of weeks and. This was huge to pull off a, you know another tight game, obviously, not an overtime game, but another really tight game. But to pull it off in the manner that they did, you know, uh, it's like we were talking about to open here, right? Kind of an interesting one. It's Memorial's first win. It's Spalding's first loss. Um, but I, I thought Memorial has been a quality team from the beginning. Um, and they have an interesting schedule ahead of them. They've got yeah. um, a, a surging Wyndham team. Uh, next week at 2 o'clock, and then they finish up with Winnikunit, South, and Exeter. Yeah, I mean, those so are... So, still a chance to do some damage, depending on where their fortunes take them.
0: Yeah, Winnikunit and South, both teams without a win yet, um, you know, on this season, so certainly games at Memorial can, can pull out, uh, both of those at home, too, in Manchester. Um, yeah, I mean, if they're able to pull off an upset this weekend going to Windham. Um, you know, then they've they put themselves in a pretty good position coming down the stretch.
1: Yeah, and on the other side of the coin, Spalding's going to have to recover quickly. They've got a tough stretch coming with Merrimack, Timberlane, and Exeter coming one, two, three down the road. Yeah, yeah. Uh,
0: well, I think uh, I don't think we can move on from D one without mentioning uh, a game coming up this week, uh, which you know I think is getting early bill as uh, as maybe the game of the year uh, or, or certainly one of the games of the year in in division one. Um, I know, uh, with the, the power poll, uh, union leader power poll coming out on Tuesday, um, there'll be teams, uh, one and two in the poll, Londonderry and Bishop Girton. Uh, so we're going to have a, a very rare, I think, regular season matchup of the one, number one and number two teams, um, in the poll, you know, and, uh, that game taking place at Londonderry Friday night seven o'clock, and I'm planning on getting there probably around between five thirty and six because I do not want to have to walk clear across uh, the town of Londonderry to try to get to that game because I anticipate that to be a heck of a crowd uh, considering that that. Uh, you know, I mean, the biggest crowds I've seen there are clearly for Mack Plaque and for playoff games. So I would expect this one to be be maybe not quite that level, but surely close to it.
1: Oh, yeah, I know. I think it's going to be big. I mean, but Londonderry is used to hosting big games at this point. You know, they hosted the championship game last year. Uh, and then they hosted Mack was it, what, a week or two ago? Yeah. Uh, and now you've got this this sort of monumental one versus two matchup. Matchup, by the way, of two very good quarterbacks, two excellent defenses, two very good defensive fronts. Um, yeah, that that's going to be the place to be on Friday night.
0: Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to it. And um, you know, there's it's it's always exciting when you get games of this magnitude in the regular season. It doesn't happen often, um, but you know, when it does. Um, it's It's usually such a good time I, and I you know and, and you hope too that the game turns out kind of lives up to the hype regardless of which way it goes. Um, you know I, I think back to that um Bedford Merrimack game to open the season in 2016 where you know Merrimack was returning a ton of kids, and Bedford had been a couple plays away from getting to, beating Goffstown and getting to the finals the year before, and they had a bunch of kids back. And the, the the atmosphere before that game was just electric, and the game itself lived up to it. And I remember leaving that and it kind of dawning on, like thinking, wow, wow, that was amazing. This is why I cover high school sports. Yeah. And then getting in my car and thinking, oh, that's probably not going to happen next week,
1: is it? <laughs> right. Yeah, no, because you're right. Like there's – there's often there's great games, sometimes great games that will surprise you, right? Like you said, sometimes there's there's these surprises that – know kind of like uh uh you know pembroke's big win against st thomas this weekend right right yeah but but it's not often that you get the the great well-played game in the marquee matchup of the year right at mid-season i mean you know the season opener is always kind of cool too but you know you you hear the cliche a lot mid-season form well there's a reason for that cliche right because the teams have found their identities they've got their full you know, playbooks in on offense and defense. The kids are well coached up, you know, et cetera, et cetera. You get a mid-season game uh, of this caliber. It's – it's that should really, really be cool. Yeah.
0: And uh, uh, speaking of uh, that Pembroke game, we should probably uh, transition here to Division two a little bit, talk some uh, some D2 football. I know you already mentioned, you know, Sauhegan and, and Plymouth. Uh, talked a little bit about Bow and Merrimack Valley. But, yeah, that um, – that was certainly an eye opener seeing uh Pembroke what they they jumped out to a, what a 14 nothing lead on St. Thomas and then uh held on for dear life for a a 14 to 12 win um got to be one of the bigger wins I think for the Spartans in in recent memory and uh you know we were we were marveling at the the standings and the fact that even with that win uh Pembroke is still uh sitting in ninth place in the con- in the division uh, with the top eight teams making the playoffs, so still a little bit of work for them to do, and and maybe someone else needs to slip up a little bit, but definitely a, a yeah. huge huge win for them.
1: Yeah, you know, regardless of I think what it does in the standings, that's got to be the win of this uh, of the decade for Pembroke. Um, I mean, a big win against a you know what what really is a, a you know a program with a proud tradition at Saint Thomas. Um, you know, a very good football team this year, I think, but, you know, again, like you mentioned, right, you jump out to a 14 nothing lead, that's great, but the real character builder is that you had to hang on. And, you know, to, to have uh, Pacey Graham pick off a pass to end that last drive where the Saints were threatening, you know, it was, it was um, 14-12 at that point, so even go down and kick a field goal, game might have been over, um, that's a huge deal and definitely something to build your program around. Hopefully there's a lot of excitement there, and uh, I'm not sure what Pembroke has left in front of them this year, but that's something to build off of.
0: Well, let's take a look. Uh, Pembroke has, is going to Sanborn this weekend uh, and then has games at home against Laconia. They're at Bow and then home against Merrimack Valley, which, if I'm not mistaken, that's a little bit of a, a rivalry game there for, uh, for the two uh, greater Concord teams. Um so i mean a, a stretch where there's some winnable games on there um but yeah. you got to actually you got to go out and win them you got to i kind of ride this momentum and you know not let it get uh, get you too high i would assume
1: Yeah yeah hopefully i'm sure they're guarding against that but um you know they're they're very manageable right now 2 and 3 if you go grab a couple of games here um, out the end of the season who knows Put yourself in pretty good position to to fight for one of those spots. Right,
0: uh, and then you know, as we were saying, that other side of the the, the conference or the division, excuse me, the West Conference. Just um, you know, we're we're going to see it start to shake out a little bit this week with with Hanover and Sauhegan playing. Um, but you know that that Sauhegan win over Plymouth has got to really open some eyes uh, around the division and and really let people know. I mean, you know, we we assumed the Sabers were for real before that, but uh, basically just some confirmation there, for sure.
1: Yeah, I don't think there was ever any doubt that Southhegan was very good, right? But if you look at the body of work, it could cast doubts, right? They had beaten Hillsborough, Deering, West, Lebanon. Um, you know, Milford was in there as what you could call a quality win, but even Milford is only 2-3 and three at this point. So, you know, if you're looking at Sal you could say, you know, hey, I know that they're talented, but what happens when they, you know, what happens when they hit, um, you know, a really, really good opponent? Well, you know, hey, I don't care what Plymouth's record is between that rivalry and, and you know, even a down year or a rebuilding year for Plymouth is they're still a dangerous, very good football team typically. Right. Um, big win. But again, you got to turn that quick uh, in terms of turning the page on that one because now you got a battle of unbeatens with Hanover. Um you know, we'll, we'll find out very quickly last week and this week uh, whether Sal Egan is definitely a contender or not. Yeah,
0: You know, the other other score in the division that was kind of surprising to me uh, was you look at, um, you know, we've been talking about Guilford Belmont the last couple of weeks and the and the kind of, uh, you know, uh, uh, video game type of numbers that, that the, the Reese brothers, Isaiah Reese, um, and I'm, I'm blanking on the other young man's first name. Um, you know, but they've been putting up, have just been, you know, borderline ridiculous. Um, Yeah. you know, they're scoring, you know, 50, 60 points the last couple weeks. And then, um, you know, checking Twitter, you see they're only up six, nothing at halftime on Laconia. And then, uh, and then in the third quarter, Laconia has a seven, six lead at one point. Um, you know, Guilford able to come back and get a 20 to seven win in that game, but, uh, you know, I, I guess that kind of has to happen to you sometimes, right, when you're you're having a season like Guilford Belmont's been having. You know, maybe you, you start riding a little high. They do play at Plymouth this upcoming week, so maybe they were looking a little ahead, um, you know, to that game. Uh, but, you know, I guess, I guess the sign of a good team is that you have those kind of weeks and you still are able to come out with a win.
1: Yeah, yeah, I think so. And, you know, I think also, you know, Laconia's um, – Laconia's only got one win, but they're a proud program. And so you knew they weren't going to come out and just sort of shrug and lay down for Guilford Belmont. I definitely didn't expect it to be that well contested a game though, so hats off to Laconia for that. But yeah, it, it, you know, I, I think you're right, Joe, if if you're Guilford Belmont, you you may look at it as a positive you say, okay, hey guys, you're right? Like you know we we put up fifty two points on Bow a couple weeks ago. we We put sixty points on Pembroke last week. Uh you know, if we if we decide to take a week off or look ahead, you know, we, we, we were lucky to get out of there with a win. Right. And you you're going in now against Plymouth, uh and you've got Hanover in a couple weeks still come up and you end with Saint Thomas, you still got some football to play. Yeah. You know, and so it, it is sometimes I think a good lesson to go through that. Because no matter how experienced your team is, they're still high school guys, and every once in a while they get a little cocky and a little, you know, (laughs) reading their own press clippings. (laughs) And it's always good to have those kind of games. Well, as long as they end up wins, um, where you can say, "Hey, guys, look, you know, this is why we have to stay focused, stay humble, stay on the path," you know, and and um, I'm sure it was a learning experience for them. Yeah,
0: Um, I don't know. Any other thoughts on D two?
1: No, I don't think so. I um, I know Milford got back in the win column this week, um, and you know we we had been talking a little bit about about them, but they've got Hollis Brookline, which is kind of a nice rivalry. It's not quite the the level of the Souhegan Milford rivalry, but there's a good sports rivalry between Milford and Hollis. and I know, you've experienced it through the years, basketball and baseball and football. There's a good rivalry there. Um, another another big. Game for Milford, though, right? Because following Hollis Brookline, they've got Pelham, but then they end with Hillsborough, during Hopkinton, and Lebanon. So you got to get your wins, and you, I think if you're Milford, and you got to hope that um, you know that you can come out and be competitive against a very, very good Pelham team uh, to keep their hopes alive.
0: Yeah, kind of hope that everybody else kind of beats up on each other a little bit there, uh, right? You know, and get, helps you get back into it with uh, with some of those.
1: Uh, right, because Pelham ends with Milford, Sauhegan, and Hanover. Right, right. That's a t- that's a tough way to end the season. You know, right now they're five and zero, but they've got to go through a pretty heavy uh, gauntlet to end the season. So, yeah, a lot of interesting things will be shaken out. I think in the coming weeks here in D two.
0: Yeah, uh, you know, looking at um, at D three, uh, you know, I think we talked about uh, the big game being uh, Campbell at Trinity last Friday. Uh, not quite, you know, a game that, that would uh, determine the top seed, kind of like with that Newport-Somersworth game in D4, but certainly a game that will go a long way uh, towards deciding some seeding. Trinity gets the win in that one uh, by a count of 36-22, uh, to 22, uh, which, you know, Campbell had led at one point, um, I believe 22-14. to 14. So Trinity, and that was with about 7.5 minutes left in the third quarter, so Trinity had to uh, make a pretty big comeback there in about a quarter and a half to, um, to get that, you know, really sounded like it was, uh, you know, guys like Jack Service, Devon Ellis stepping up, making big plays for Trinity to, uh, to turn that one around. Um, you know, so the Pioneers get the inside track there at that number one seed, the last undefeated team in D3. They've now got wins over Campbell and Manadnock, um, you know, who are also, you know, right there at the top. Uh, of the standings, you know, they do still have to play at Fall Mountain and at Stevens to end the year, um, you know, two teams that are in the mix and, and fighting for one of those playoff spots, Fall, Fall Mountain, in fact, on a four-game winning streak, um, you know, after losing in their opener to Manadnock, um, you know, and then this, this coming Saturday, uh, you got a nice 11 a.m. kickoff there over in Litchfield. With uh, with Monadnock and Campbell taking it on each other, in uh, in what in a game that you know will could most likely determine the number two seed in the division.
1: Yeah, yeah, a lot of lot of stuff I think is going to shake out here in the next few weeks, as we were talking about last week. And you know the the the, the Trinity win over Campbell, I don't I don't think that's the last we see of that matchup. And and I and I think it could go either way the next time around. You know, it's like you said, there were some punch counter punch things going on in that game, Um, and you know, you still had um, like you you had mentioned a couple great performances from the the Trinity side of the ball, right? Service in particular, I think, had a really good game, but then you've got uh, the the sophomore running back we mentioned last week, which is Scott Hirschberger for Campbell. Now against what is arguably right now, I guess, the best team in Division Three, he still carried the ball 35 times for 240 yards and two touchdowns. So Campbell, I think, the, uh, the lesson learned there is not to be forgotten about. Just because they lost the battle to Trinity doesn't necessarily mean they have lost the war. I still think that that was a, a pretty closely contested game. There were big performances on both sides. Um, I, I'm very much looking forward to seeing that rematch.
0: Yeah, that would be a fun one um, to see. I wonder, you know, obviously Hershberger's been huge for Campbell so far this year. I'm almost wondering if they maybe need another guy to step up and and maybe take on some of that load. Um, You know, I know they do run that, um, you know, that single wing offense where, you know, he could be the guy that's getting the ball pretty much every time. You know, and it's tough to kind of defend even if you know that. Because you're not always sure exactly where he is, um, uh, you know, No, so I, I think, think you're
1: right. You don't. I don't think in any division, you know, regardless of the quality of your team, one way or the other, you're you're not you're not wanting to go many weeks in a row having a sophomore back carry 35 times. You're right. Right. Yeah. Yes. You know. So so I think yeah, in a big game like this. You you do whatever you got to do. You feed the horse, and and you go with what's working. And, again, it clearly worked, right? 240 yards, two touchdowns. I think he ran in a two-point conversion, too. But I think you're right. I I think as time goes on here and, and, you know, you get more film on your opponents and things, there's got to be another option, hopefully, that they can go to besides Hershberger because it's only a matter of time before somebody probably zeros in on him a little bit.
0: Yeah. And then, uh, you know, Division 4, we were talking already about that newport Summersworth game. Uh, you're looking at the standings again, and you got Bishop Brady and Raymond also uh, right now among the four teams each in the playoff spot. Uh, Brady gets to go to Newport this weekend. Uh, big game there. And Raymond gets to go to Somersworth. Uh, so two still really big matchups. Uh, maybe not quite the... The heavyweight matchup we we thought we were seeing last week but definitely two games that'll again go a good ways towards determining uh uh playoff seating in in division four
1: yeah no absolutely i i think uh you know it's funny how fast the the division four season goes you know it's, it's sort of clipped on each end um and, and you're looking at it you know you're looking at all these sort of you know how things might shake out and the win-loss records and stuff and it's it's, it's it's such a tight little window that we have to work with with them um, it's shaping up very quickly
0: yeah just uh, just three weeks left in their season because they get um, they get a bye the second to last week of the regular season if I'm not mistaken uh, yes. so they'll play two more games take a week off come back and play that last week of, of October and then uh, into the playoffs
1: Yep. yep that is it. Exactly what
0: it looks like. Well, um, any other thoughts on uh, on anything that happened this past weekend, or or what's coming up uh, this weekend in in the world of football?
1: You know, I I think I might. I I think I might say. I I don't know if I can commit to it, but I think I might say (laughs) I'm going to try to go to the Sauhegan Hanover game
0: this weekend. I thought you might do that. That's
1: yeah, yeah. I think I think the time has come. All right. Uh, Since you're going to be at London for the BG thing, and I, yes. I, you know, I don't want to distract you again like I did this past <laughs> week. You know, I, you're a professional; you're out there trying to do your job, and I'm over there whining and crying about, you know, why did the official do this or how come the punter did that or whatever. And you know, I, I, I can't do that to you two weeks in a row. <laughs> well, no,
0: see, I, I appreciated you being there because it gave me someone to say, "Ah, oh, crap! I wasn't looking. Who, who carried that?"
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. Did he get five yards yeah, or was it yeah. six yards? <laughs> what, what,
0: what did they call the penalty on? I was writing something down. What's the penalty?
1: Well, I'll keep it in mind because I, I did admit to you the one, the, the, one of the main reasons I didn't go to the Memorial uh, Spalding game was I just, you know, my kids were at like a. Uh, uh, you know, some sort of a, a Friday night gathering with their friends or something. And it's like, I, I don't know. I just didn't have it in me to go to a game by myself. I was like, nah, I got to go, go hang out with somebody. So right. it depends, right? If I can round up some some unfortunate person to go with me to the sauhegan game, I'll probably go there. If I can't, maybe I will come hang out with you. <laughs>
0: All right. Well, either way, uh, I think we're gonna we're in for some pretty good games on Friday. Yes, sir. All right. Well, he is Mike Lockman. Mike, thanks again for joining me.
1: Yep, a lot of fun. Thanks, Joe. Yeah.
0: I am Joe Marcellina. Uh Have a great time at games this weekend. Uh, enjoy them, be safe, and we will talk to you again next week.